Welcome to the Lifehouse Church Podcast. Lifehouse is a church that exists to invite all people to live an uncommon life by following Jesus, doing life together, getting in the game, and leaving a legacy. We hope that today's message helps you grow as a follower of Jesus, gives you perspective to see yourself and others differently, and inspires you to make a difference in the world around you. Now, let's get to this week's message. Are you guys ready to dive into God's Word today? All right, let's do it. Well, hey, we are continuing our series, Jesus and, where we have been looking at the example of Jesus, right? Where, where so many times we see Jesus as being Lord. We know that we're supposed to, sub, to submit to him and follow him. Uh, we like him being Savior. We like him being someone that, that lived the life we could not live, died the death we should have died in our place and for our sins. He was the, he was the one that, 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 that basically uh, got us out of Hell. He went to hell. He 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 died for us. He rose from from the dead. He is our savior. We like Jesus being Lord. We like him being savior. But sometimes we we forget. And the whole point of this series is is that he is our example. That he shows us what is possible. That Jesus did not do what Jesus did simply because he was Jesus. Sometimes we can think, well, he was super. Well, he was supernatural. He was supernatural. He was divine. But he was also a hundred percent human. In the book of Philippians chapter 2, it says he laid aside his divinity, laying aside and losing are two different things. He put aside his divinity, he put aside that so he could show us what was possible with a life that was filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, governed by a personal discipline, and had a rhythm of life that cultivated a relationship with his father. So, and we are looking at the life of Jesus as our example and saying, how did Jesus live? What did Jesus do so we can live the kind of life that Jesus did? Because I don't know about you, sometimes people, uh, you, you know, the, the church doesn't do a good job of resembling Jesus, right? And the whole point of being the church individually and corporately is to be the body of Christ, to literally be a physical representation of a Jesus that cannot be seen. So we're looking at the example of Jesus. And today, we're going to look at specifically uh, Jesus and worship. Jesus and worship. Turn to somebody and say, Jesus and worship. Jesus and worship. And when I say worship, I'm talking about a worship service. I'm talking about a time of worship weekly. So I'm not talking just about a time where we come and worship for 25, 30 minutes on, on a Sunday. I'm just not specifically talking about worship music. I'm talking about a time of worship. This is actually called a worship service. Some, some people call it an experience some people call it a gathering. We can call it a worship gathering, a worship service. We are ultimately here as an act of worship when we come to church each Sunday, okay? So, so when I say worship, I'm talking about Jesus and worship, how Jesus actually had a rhythm in his life of going to worship corporately together. Luke, Luke chapter 4, verse number 16 and Luke, if you don't know nothing about Luke, he was a doctor and a historian. He actually wrote the book of Luke and the book of Acts. And it was actually one volume that, that was split up in, into two. And Luke was documenting the story of Jesus. He, he was actually a historian. He went out and got eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life. And one of the things that Luke put, it, put in his gospel, he's, he says this, Luke chapter 4, verse number 16. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, so it was his hometown, and as was his what? Custom. So, so in other words, as was his 
rhythm, as was his daily habit, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. Now, that word synagogue simply means assembly. It simply means gathering. So Jesus went to an assembly, a gathering, a worship gathering, which was his custom weekly. So, I mean, we can, we, we can just say this. Jesus went to church. Jesus had a set-aside time weekly to come and gather with other people to sing songs. Synagogue, they, they sang psalms. In the synagogue, they read scripture. The word was preached. And Jesus, as was his custom, gathered together. I mean, doesn't this just, I, I think, blow your mind? Just because the culture we live in, people say, I need Jesus, but I don't need the church. I mean, it's like there has become this division between Jesus and the church. And it's just like, I follow Jesus, therefore I don't need church. But people don't realize Jesus actually assembled together with, with other people on a weekly basis. So saying, well, I, I just love Jesus, I don't, I don't need church, is, actually is counter to what the rhythm and practice of Jesus was. And I, you know, and, 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 and so, so as I was studying for this message, I came across an incredible book that's called Worship Like Jesus, written by Constance Cherry. What an interesting name, Constance Cherry. But the whole point of, like the whole point of this book, like she, she wrote a whole book on how a part of Jesus's life, a part of Jesus's rhythm of life was how he participated in a rhythm of corporate worship. Because, because where she was coming from is as followers of Jesus, we have forgotten and gotten away from the importance of the gathering. We have gotten away from the importance and the beauty and the sacredness of what we are doing right here, right now. That we have in some ways lost it. And I don't know about you, I think I took it for granted until COVID happened. And when COVID happened and we could not gather in person for seven, eight months, and when we came back together, it was like, man, I have missed this. There is something different about this. And we've been slowly seeing, we've got even people still coming back now. You might even be here today. And you might have just, I finally decided to come back to church after COVID. And I mean, honestly, I feel like we, we still have people coming back and recovering from COVID and, and recovering from the fact that they got away from the gathering, where, where they said, well, I was on, where, where I was online, and hey, I'm all for online. If you're watching online, matter of fact, church, can we just welcome the church online crowd watching us right now? So glad you're with us. We love you. You are part of our church. But let me tell you this. There's a huge difference between online and in person. Can I get an amen? amen? Because I don't know about you, even while I was watching our service, I'm watching myself because we were pre-recorded and I'm in the grocery store shopping. <laughs> I, you know, it's, it's like, it, it just isn't the same. I don't think many of us were like gathered around the television. Everything was off. It was a sacred moment. We're focusing on it. was kind of just more, it kind of just became, maybe that's the way it started, but then as it got further along, it kind of became more background noise. You kind of put it on as you're doing something, and it just loses 
that sacredness, that, that, that kind of formational element and sacrifice of what it means to come together and gather as God's people. And what I love about this book is it's just all about getting to the heart of the gathering and why it's important. Why it's important. One of her quotes, and I'm going to be reading a, uh, a few of her quotes in this book today to help guide us in this conversation. So one of the things she says, she says this, the four gospel accounts of Jesus's life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, present Jesus as someone who modeled a devoted and disciplined life of worship in community. He was, he was a worshiper from birth who consistently, even daily, worshiped at the temple in the synagogue, kept the Sabbath, spent much time in prayer, participated in the regular worship rituals, worshiped God in defiance of Satan, read the scriptures in the synagogue service, cleansed, cleansed the temple, celebrated the Jewish annual festivals of worship, pronounced blessings upon people, sang the liturgy, preached, and taught in the temple and synagogue. So you can, and I mean, and, and that was just, just a, syn, a synopsis from the four Gospels of what we see Jesus actively doing and participating in in corporate worship. And here, here is why I think this is important and why I love this book, is it gets to the heart of why we gather. Because let me tell you this, something that the church is really good at is telling you what you need to do, but let me tell you what the church isn't real good at, telling you why you need to do it. The church can be really good at what, but terrible at why. Because honestly, the church will tell you, do this and do that and give and serve and you need to come to, come to church. You need to get your kids to church and you need to do this, that, and, and the other thing. And we will watch you to death but starve you with the why. Because honestly, it's easy to come into church and just do the stuff that you know church people do and church people should do. But you get on what's called autopilot. Has anybody ever been on spiritual autopilot? Where you're just doing what you do, but you don't have any emotion in it. You don't have any, you don't have any why behind it. I mean, how many of you, you've, like, autopilot's a scary thing. I don't know about you, but how many of you, you've been driving on the highway. And you get on, auto, you get on autopilot, and you drive for a half an hour, and you don't remember any of the half an hour you just drove. You ever been there? You're on autopilot. And this is not tes Tesla autopilot. This is called you are just operating on autopilot. And you're functioning, you're operating, but you're not really there. And this is what happens many times when we, with doing spiritual things, is we get on autopilot. We, we just do them, but we don't actually think about why we're doing it. Our heart at Lifehouse, my heart at Lifehouse, if you know me any bit of sort, I just don't want you to get to do stuff because activity does not equal change. Busyness, spiritual busyness does not equal life change. It doesn't. It is, it, it is when you know why you are doing what you're doing and how what you're doing affects your discipleship to Jesus. Whenever we ask you to serve, it's not just so we can fill a spot in a certain ministry. It is so whenever you do something outside of yourself for somebody else, it hits to the root of our ingrained selfishness. Serving is a formational act 
that pushes up against consumerism and the selfishness that our culture is trying to shape and form you in. Every time you financially give, it's a punch to the face of greed. Why? Because our world is, is telling you, YOLO, spend it. The world's crashing down. Hold it in. Just, just don't be generous. And every time you give, it is a formational act that forms your heart and fuels kingdom work. No, nothing in scripture we see ministry. Here, here's the thing. Every single portion of scripture where ministry happens, it is funded by God's people. Even Jesus himself. Luke chapter 8, you can see he was funded by women that invested and sowed into his ministry. But we're just not trying to get you to give. We want you to know what happens, why you give, when you give. It forms your heart to be more like Jesus and it fuels the vision. And that's what I'm getting at today is that we're just not trying to get you to come to church so you can be, be a number. My heart today is to get to the root of why this is important. Why attending a place for a few hours? And we're getting to a few hours, y'all. Our services are getting long. I apologize. I know shorter services are in. I know that's, that's, more cons that's better for the consumer mentality. I know people like services shorter. And God bless our children's ministry. They're going to get a raise. Uh, but, but my heart is for you to know why we do this. So whenever you come here every Sunday, you are not just on autopilot, but you can be aware of what is happening. You can be aware of what's available. You can be aware of what you get to walk into every Sunday. And so we can get all that God wants us to get. But before I dive into the why, I'm going to tell you a couple ways that our culture has shaped you and formed you and how we get worship services wrong, okay? The first one's this. We come to be entertained. And therefore, we become spectators. Let's just be honest, y'all. We like to be entertained. We are an entertainment culture. We, we, we watch shows. We listen to music. We watch con concerts. And what's easy to do in this environment, because that's so much of what we do and so much of, of the way culture, it's hard to not come into this place and in some ways feel like you need to be entertained. And so instead of bringing God something, we have the mentality of, what, what, how, how are you going to impress me? How are you going to impress me, man? How are you going to impress me, Pastor John? You going to make me laugh today? You going to make me smile today? You going you gonna to make me think today? And, and, it's, and it's like, we can have this mentality where we come into a worship service and say, entertain me. And, I, and I'm, I'm just saying we have to be careful. We have to be careful. Secondly, though, we could come as a consumer and critique and therefore give ratings, feedback, and one to five stars. Right? Because we can give ratings for anything, because y'all can go on Yelp and Google and give ratings for everything, it's hard for us not and we can give so much feedback. We live in a democracy, right? It's, it's like, it's hard for us not to come here and in some ways want to be a critic. And listen, I'm not, I, I, I know, it, trust me, it's hard for me to go into a church and have the sounds off or someone singing out of tune and stuff like that. It's hard for me not to be like, ooh, Lord Jesus. At least she's making a joyful noise. 
It's not a good noise. It's a joyful noise. All right? But, but it's, it, can, it, it can just be easy for us to walk in and instead of worship, be a critic. And these are just things that we have to be mindful of because if we're not careful here, and y'all, and understand my heart when I, when I say this, right? We, we will get into a, the, kind of the church shopper mentality, which I'm not saying you don't need to go around and search and, and find a place that, that if you feel is your vibe and your place. But let me tell you this. In, in your shopping for a church, in your looking for a place to worship and get involved, be careful of going there and be, be, be careful of church shopping and say, let me go and find a place that meets every one of my needs. Because what you want to do is you want to invite the Lord into your church search. Because he might call you to a place where there is a need. And you are there to meet a need. And to fill a need. Instead of having your needs met. You might go into a church that is not perfect. A church that... You can say, yeah, they've, they've got holes. And, and, and you know what? Instead of saying, well, this, how, instead of, and that's why you want to say, Lord, where do you want me? Instead of coming in and saying, how does this church meet every one of my check marks? You want to invite the Lord and the Holy Spirit into say, Lord, where do you want me? Where do you want me? Because here's, here's, here's the thing, right? We will, if, if we don't understand this is the way the culture is shaping and forming us. It will come in and spoil what happens here every Sunday. And we have to check the critic at the door. We have, to, we have to check the consumer at the door. We have to check the side of us that wants to be, to be entertained and know that when we walk into this place, we are walking into a holy place where we are, we, we, we are here to come into a worship service and worship a holy God. But getting to the why of worship is so important. The why of worship is that it forms us. I don't think we completely understand how what we do each Sunday has the power and the ability to shape and form us. Hebrews 10, 10 uh, excuse me, Hebrews 10, 23 through 25 tells us this, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promises is faithful. And then he says this, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. So basically, how can, how can we push each other? How can we encourage each other? How, how can we help each other do more of what God wants us to do? And then he says this, not giving up meeting together, not giving up gathering as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. I love the connection in this verse between doing good works and being, and, and being spurred and encouraged and gathering together. You know what that tells me? Worship has the power to form us to be more like Jesus. That, the, that there is something about the gathering that has a way of encouraging us and spurring us on, not to just know more about Jesus, but to be more like him. And I'll just be honest with you. I this is a whole different way of looking at the gathering for me because I feel like in the past year and a half, I've had this reawakening of the purpose of the gathering because at my heart, I want people to know Jesus and I feel like at times I would even use the public service, the public gathering as a way just to get people saved instead of seeing it as a place where people are discipled. Where I would be very evangelistic 
and I would be preaching, expecting there to be unsafe people there, and there is unsafe people, but also, too, I felt like as I was doing that, I was also forgetting the fact that, that there are already saved people in, in, in the service. And I was using it almost as a way to, to get people saved. Instead of seeing the gathering, one of the things we do here as one of the main ways, one of the main ways that we're shaped and formed to be like Jesus. And that is, I believe, how it has Change because this is a place where we use songs, we use the word, we use fellowship, and it's a powerful tool for us to be discipled. Constance Cherry continues on with this quote. She says, All Christian disciples are formed in worship, and like I said, worship is the worship gathering by worship. The scriptures we hear, the songs we sing, the prayers we pray, the sermons we heed, the offerings we give, the communion elements we share, the sense of love we feel from fellow worshipers. All this and more unites in the power of the Spirit to change us towards Christ-likeness. Worship is a highly transforming event. It is such a formational force that it is sometimes referred to as primary theology, the most significant occasion from which our understanding of God originates. She continues on by saying this, talking about herself. She says, to be honest, for many years I had not considered how corporate worship is formational in nature. I had the idea that I formed worship. I have since discovered that worship forms me. I misunderstood the purpose of worship, thinking that it consisted largely of a service that people created in order to express themselves to God and to be inspired to live better Christian lives. It didn't occur to me that participating in the worship event is in itself an act of intentional spiritual formation. I have come to see that when worshipers participate faithfully, and devotionally in the liturgy of their worship service, they become deeply formed by what is said and done. Worship is a primary means through which our view of God and the world is reshaped in an ongoing way. But not only our view is changed, more importantly, through true worship, our affections, that which whom we come to love, is amended. Isn't that good? And that, that is the heart, y'all. That all of us here realize that when we come each Sunday, this is not just about checking a box and saying, hey, I got my church attendance done this week. Let me go and get my brunch, get on my way, get my grass cut, and move on. Is that we are entering into a sacred moment, a sacred place, a sacred space each Sunday to come and worship and stand before God and stand before him alongside brothers and sisters, along those that might not know Christ, just alongside people. And we are offering ourselves as an act of worship, as a sacrifice to say, God, I am here and present, available. My heart's clear. My mind's ready. I'm ready to receive all you have for me. Yeah, let's give God some praise today. Come on, because... Here's the, here's the thing. I want you to know why. I want you to know why. I want, like, because honestly, I think this would even change the way we get ready in the mornings. We, you know, that we would maybe even want to get here early so the first song we'd actually hear it. I feel so bad for the band most weeks because they're playing to about two people. They're like, Jehovah Jireh meets my needs for all two of you. You know, you know. And here's the thing, I'm not knocking out the, but maybe if we saw this as sacred, maybe we, 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 maybe we would even see our Sunday morning routine as sacred. They're like, hey, I'm going to get up earlier, I'm going to prepare my mind, instead of, you know, like, I'm going to put on worship music as I drive here. It's, it's like, it's creating an atmosphere and space and place to where we are receptive and ready 
to hear. I'm going to give it up, Life, Lifehouse kids, my kids, even though they're the pastor's kids. They're not always ready to go to church in the morning. They don't always want to go to church in the morning, and they get to come early with me at about 7.45. But Lifehouse kids, they have, they, they have actually introduced something called Lifehouse Kids Bucks, where they get kids bucks in order to be used at the, the Lifehouse Kids store for when they come to church, they act well, they bring a friend, they get dollars. And my kids this morning, hey, guys, it's time to get up. Okay. They were ready to go. They were, they're all about them Lifehouse Kids Bucks. I'm like, mission accomplished. Mission accomplished, right? But, but why? Because we are trying to help create Sundays to be a day that we come and, and we get to encounter God. That we're just not checking off a box that, that it is a time where we know why we are coming. Now, now, let's, now what I love about Constance and where we're going to close today is she actually defines a worship gathering that I just it, that whenever I read it I, like it blew my mind and I was like I got to read this and then we're going to break it down and then we're going to be done all right so so she says says it's worship and and like I said worship is the gathering worship is the regular ongoing meeting of a local body of Christian disciples with the triune God expressed in acts of corporate devotion done in partnership with one another in order to give glory to God, bear witness to their identity as God's people, proclaim and celebrate the grand narrative of God's eternal activity, and to receive power for living according to God's kingdom purposes. Now let me break that down into layman's terms, because that's a mouthful. I want to give you the, what, what she was saying happens when we gather together first we get to meet with god the father through jesus the son by the power of the holy spirit how would it look on your calendar if you had nine or eleven o'clock every sunday meet with god you had a meeting with him. You had a set-aside meeting in the same way you would have a coffee meeting. In the same way you would, you would have a meeting with a friend. You have it on your schedule that I am coming to meet with Father God through the Son because Jesus tore the veil. He lived the life you could not live, died the death you should have died in your place and for your sin. He created a way. He became the sacrifice for us so we could be righteous, so we could be in God's presence through the son and then as we gather here the power of the holy spirit is here and available and wants to move and wants to heal and wants to restore wants to forgive wants to reveal who jesus is like we get to gather here and this is what we get to gather with the father the son and the holy spirit are actively moving as we gather together as the church and do you know what that tells me anything's possible what if we had expectation when we came into this place? What if we came in here on Sunday saying, anything could happen? Why? Because God's here. The, with, God in, with God, all things are possible. What if we had expectation? But I heard one, one pastor say, expectation without demand. 
Because here's, here's the thing. God can do whatever he wants, where, wherever he wants, through, through whomever he wants, whenever he wants. And we believe he can, so we're not going to demand anything, but we're going to come with expectation, saying, Lord, if there's someone that needs to be healed, you can heal them. If there's someone that has a burden today that needs to be lifted, you can lift it. If there is somebody that needs their mind renewed, you could renew it. If there's someone that has trauma and it is haunting them in their dreams, you can heal it. If there is somebody here that has pain in their body, God, you can heal it. What if we all came realizing that when we get together, we, we get to meet with God and we meet with God. His spirit is here. What if we came with that expectation? I, th I think our worship would be different. I think our outward worship would be different. I think our passion would be different. It says we meet with God through the Father. Or we meet with God the Father through the Son and by the power of the Holy Spirit. But also, too, corporate acts of devotion, Constance says. And what, what does that mean? It means we get to worship through song in God's word. The two mediums we use on Sunday to help you learn about God, to help you connect with God, are the songs and the word. And isn't it crazy sometimes in church, those two things are in competition. Some people, right, I grew up in a time period where if worship lasted the whole, like the whole service, they were like, the Holy Spirit moved. It was powerful. No one preached. Only, we only did music. And that was like the Holy Spirit moving. And, I'm, and part of me is like, the Holy Spirit wrote the Bible. Right? Like, like it's, it's, it's like the Holy Spirit just doesn't move whenever it's worship. The Holy Spirit wrote the Bible, so when the word is preached, the Holy Spirit is moving even as I speak, as it's read, as it's, as it's taught. The Holy Spirit, even right now, is moving in y'all's hearts. Like, what I have to trust every Sunday is that when I preach, the Holy Spirit is being the translator to you. Because you need a translator, you need a I need a translator, because I'm talking to a couple hundred different people, a couple hundred different situations, a couple hundred, a couple, uh, couple hundred different emotions, a couple hundred different mental states, a couple hundred different backgrounds, a couple hundred, everything's a couple hundred different, and I just, I got something to say, so I'm going to say it, and I'm going to trust the Holy Spirit to be what you need for you. And that's what you need to be praying, is that as you come in, Holy Spirit, translate, give me what I need today. Because I'm not that good to speak to everybody right where they are, but the Holy Spirit is. But this is what, what we have, is, is that even the worship we sing, y'all, I, I don't know about you, my mindset has shifted whenever I studied the history of worship. And how the history of worship, because typically how we look at worship is worship like revs us up for the word. Right? It's kind of the preparation, right? And what I learned is that that was actually a very revivalist era mentality of worship where it was it was like when it was like when, whenever there was a revival coming through town they would get a great band they they would hype the people up with the songs and then you would you'd have a real hyped up revivalist come and come and preach and kind of garner a response to get people to respond to the altar call but when you actually study worship throughout the church history you actually see worship was actually one of the main ways that people were discipled Singing songs was one of the main ways people learned theology. It was one of the main ways people learned the truths of who God is. Worship and songs are not just to stir our emotions. They're a way to fill our minds with the words, fill our imaginations with who God is and what he's like and who we are in him. 
And that's what my heart is for even worship at our church, is that we just wouldn't be like, what am I going to feel today? It'd be like, what am I going to learn today through song? Even think about the way the kids learn. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P. No one's going to join in with me. Okay, fine. I, I, I see how y'all are. Q, R, S, T, U, N, V, W, X, Y, N, Z. Like, did you see, like, what that, that, the, that's a song. What is the purpose of the song? It's so they can learn a rhythm that gets into their mind so they can learn knowledge. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Acts, Romans, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus, Philemon, Hebrew, and James, 1 Peter, 2 Peter, 3 John, 2 Revelation. The only reason that I know the books of the Bible is because of a song. If you ask me to know them without the song, But I, I want to help you see, like, the worship we sing. Yes, it, it's, it feel, it's going to get into our feelings. But I want to challenge our church to get beyond the feelings into the mind. Yeah, yeah. The worship is not just a way for us to feel. Worship is a way for us to get to know theology. Know who God is. Know who you are in him. Whom the Son sets free. It's free indeed. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. Right? Like it's like when you, so, so here I've got a challenge for you. The next 30 days, listen to worship music only. Some of y'all are like, I'm out. This church crazy. <laughs> you want to, because you're wanting to know more about God and you're, you're just wanting to actually read, 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 the, read the Bible, which is good. But what, what would actually happen? Trying to speak too fast. What would actually happen if you combined worship music with, with the word is you would actually realize a lot of what you're singing is the word. And some of you, you want to be filled more with God and his presence and spirit, but you never listen to worship music on the way to and from work. You never listen to worship music when you're out walking the dog. You never listen to worship music in those times, where, and that's what I'm saying. Take your margin time that you would normally be listening to I don't know. Y'all know what y'all listen to. I don't, you know. <laughs> Stuff y'all be listening to. And replace that with some worship and tell me if not in 30 days you feel closer to God. Honestly. Tell me if not in 30 days you feel more at peace. Tell me not in 30 days the melody and song in your soul is not of worshiping him. Music's powerful, y'all. That's why it's one of the mediums we use in our services to help you connect with God. We use worship and we use the word as corporate acts of devotion. I don't know what is going on. It sounds like... Anyway, sorry, if you didn't hear it, somebody's cell phone's ringing. It sounds like someone's getting shot. I'm not sure who it is. That was funny. But then we, we have worship, and then we have the word. And the word is a way for us to be grounded. Y'all, I, 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 y'all, I labor over the word every week. I am praying. I'm like, Lord, what does this community need? I'm not praying what do people need in, in Arkansas. I'm like, Lord, our church, our people, because I don't know if you... Realize, even the epistles that Paul wrote were 
were to churches. They were to specific people in a specific city, in a specific place. He wrote letters to them. Every Sunday, I feel like I'm writing a letter to y'all. Every Sunday, I'm like, like, Lord, what, what does this group of people need? And I take it serious. And that's why I just want to encourage you, even if you can't be here on Sunday, get the podcast. Because you are on my mind. I am thinking about you. I am praying for you. I'm saying, Lord, these are the people that you've called me to shepherd, steward, and love, and protect. And as a result, Lord, I, I want to give them a word that, that is from you specifically for them. So, like, these are the two mediums, the two ways. But not only do we, you know, m- we have a meeting with God every Sunday. We, we use worship in the word. But also, too, this is a time for y'all to be reminded of who you are as God's people. Because we have a tendency to forget what we should remember and remember what we should forget. We are spiritual amnesia people. We all have spiritual amnesia. From Sunday to Sunday, the amnesia is crazy. We forget who we are. We forget who God is. We forget his promises. We forget how good he is. We forget his faithfulness. We can have a tendency to forget. But when we come here on Sundays, we get to be reminded of who we are and who he is. That he is God, he's in charge, he hasn't forgotten us, that we are deeply loved, that we're deeply flawed, we're deeply loved by God, though we are so messed up and jacked up, he loves us just right where we are. Thank God for those reminders every Sunday. But not only only that, you know what this time does? We get a regained perspective to see our micro story in light of God's macro story. You have a micro story. God has a macro story. God is the ultimate. He is writing a story that we know the ending. The book of Revelation is complicated, but do you know what is not complicated? How the book ends. God wins. We can post-trib, pre-trib. We can talk all day. The seven-headed beast, red, white, blue, black horses, red horses, white horses, Who's the Antichrist? We could debate all day about that stuff. But let me tell you this. At the end of the day, the end of the book, God wins. That's the end of the story. That's the end of your story. That's the end of all of our stories is that God wins. You will experience many setbacks, many issues, many circumstances. You will experience a lot of losses in your micro story. But the macro story that God has and will always have is he wins. And because he wins and, on, and, you're, and you're on his side, you ultimately win, though you might lose some battles. And you need to be reminded of that, that God, that though you experience losses, you need to be reminded of the victory of God. That he wins. He wins. Because in your micro story that we are all going to have, we are all going to experience times. My God, where we're going to show up and you don't feel like being here. The last thing you feel like doing is being here. But as you show up, it's almost like a spiritual chiropractic appointment. You get that regained perspective to see all things work to the good of those who love God and have been called according to his purpose. Not that all things are good, but God is so good. He can take all things that aren't good and make it work for his good, and our good, and for his glory. We need that every Sunday, y'all. This is what's available to us. 
but not only do we get to regain perspective finally. Thanks for coming up, bro. You read my mind. He's getting that vibe, you know, he's like, yeah. You know, what's the last, last one? Can you put that up? I, I can't see it, but receive power to live for God for the next six days, right? So he's, it says you receive power in Constance's original definition. It says you receive power to live God's kingdom, pur- to, to live God's kingdom purposes. And that is, that is what I hope and pray is that when you leave here every Sunday, you almost feel like you just went to the gas station and got a fill up. You got a fill up. You, you're like, okay, I got some perspective back. I got reminded of who I am. I just met with God. I got these songs. I got this word. Don't y'all see that, that, that this is so much more than what we've made it? Don't you see this gathering this Sunday? And y'all, I'm just sharing this with you because I feel like I am on this same journey. Like that I have looked over the power of the gathering of God's people for far too long. And it is something that is beautiful and sacred and important. And that as we prioritize it, and here's the thing, I'm not telling you, just prioritize it because we need people here at church. I'm, we're, we're saying Jesus prioritized it. So if Jesus prioritizes it, how can his people not? We are not better than him. We have, we, we have not out-theologied him. We, we have not, like, outgrown him to our, oh, yes, we just follow Jesus, but we don't need the church. But we have to put it in its proper place. Does church save you? No, Jesus saves, saves, saves you, okay? We have to put it in its proper context. It doesn't save us, but it has the power to form us. And that's what church, the worship gathering is. It does not save us. You coming here is not salvation. You coming here does not get you a better seat in heaven. You coming here does not get you a more beautiful crown. You coming here does, however, have the power to shape and form you to be more like Jesus. And give you power to go and live the next six days until we get to gather again. And that is what my heart is, is that we would get back, even as we sang this song, the heart of worship, where it's all about you, Jesus. It's all about you. Even the story behind that song, if you don't know the story behind that song, and this is an old song, this is how I know I'm old. I'm actually turning 40 on, on Friday. So you officially have a pastor that's in his 40s. But I re- I, this song has such a special personal meaning to me because when I first got saved at 16 years old, I couldn't stop listening to, to this song. The song's about 25, almost 30 years old. And the, the heart behind this song is it was actually written at a time, England actually, by a guy named Matt Redman. Their church was in a state of just extreme apathy where 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 they were growing numerically, but there was a stagnancy in the gathering. And so the pastor came up there, and I give this dude credit, right? The church was growing. He said the music sounded great, but there was just this entertainment culture in the church where people would show up, stand there, and like they were coming to be, to be entertained. So the pastor got up there and said, 
cut the music. For the next month, we're only going to worship with our voices. And that's what they did. <laughs> Can you imagine if we did that? Some of y'all would time it perfect. If y'all come into the 9, you'd come at the 9, you'd come at 9.30. So you wouldn't have to be at worship. If it was 10.45 service, y'all would come at 11.15. But the reason they did it is because he said, I do not want this entertainment vibe and spirit and consumer culture to be what our gathering is centered on. I want it to be centered on Jesus. It's all about him. We are not here to consume or get something. We are here to bring something. We are here to offer a sacrifice of praise. We are here to bring something to him, not just receive something. So we cut, he cut the music for a month, or I think it was two months. They just came and sang. And as they started to reintroduce the speakers, reintroduce an, an acoustic guitar, reintroduce a couple things, then this song started to birth when the music fades and all is stripped away and I simply come longing just to bring something that's of worth that will bless your heart I'll bring you more than a song than a song in itself is not what you have required you search much deeper within through the way things appear you're looking into my heart I'm coming back to the heart of worship and it's what all about you it's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the things I've made it when it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. And that is what I pray we get today. Is that, honestly, we would even say, Lord, we're sorry for what we've made this. God, we're sorry for coming in here wanting just to be entertained. Lord, we're sorry for coming in here wanting to just be consumed and we're so focused on giving stuff grades that we miss the fact that we're getting the opportunity to meet with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit every Sunday. That we would be more centered on the God of this worship service more than even on the stuff in this worship service. And I believe that as we get more focused on him, the one that is most important, that I just think our total perspective what we see God doing in these gatherings would completely change. Are y'all here in my heart? Do y'all hear the why? Stand up with me, church. Come on. Was that helpful, church? Come on. Thanks again for listening to this week's message. And if today's message helped or inspired you, feel free to share it with someone. If after today's message you have questions, need help, or just want somebody to talk to or process with, just shoot LifeHouse a text to 757-690-2401. For more information about LifeHouse, you can visit us at lifehouseonline.church. That's lifehouseonline.church.